Yes. Making a reveal. Making a reveal. Welcome to the 99th episode of Rank and Review, Real Scary Folk. This episode we're going to look at six films based on real people who did some bad stuff. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. Um, I hope you have some feedback to send me. You can do that by sending it to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. As usual, before you proceed, you should know that there will be spoilers for the movies being discussed, and there will be coarse language. I hope you enjoy the 99th episode of Ranking Review. And as always, this is your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons, saying thank you so much for listening. So, uh, welcome to the 99th episode of Rank and Review, and I have my dear friend, Jen <laughs> Sheesby, with me. I have known Jen for, let's wow. say, several years. Yeah, thank <laughs> let's you. Let's just say several years. <laughs> I appreciate We go into the Wayback Machine. <laughs> yes. There was a time when I was taller than Larry. <laughs> really? Wow. Yep. I, I, don't, I don't know if I remember that time, but... I remember it because it was very short-lived. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, we go back, and... Uh, I, I talked her into doing my show, <laughs> and so it's special on, on a couple of counts, because uh, we haven't talked for a minute. This is going to be like the longest conversation we've had in years, which Probably. is just going to be fun in of itself. Exactly. Um, we're doing an interesting topic. It's like a real scary folk. All of the movies that we're talking about, they're not necessarily horror movies, but they're about scary people yes. who existed in the real world. Yes. How realistic the portrayal is or the story is, we can talk about on a case-for-case basis. <laughs> Alrighty. I think the thing that's frightening about it is that they're real. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's based on real people. However Hollywoodized or not it is, real people doing scary stuff. Um, and we have interesting perspectives because of our workplace, which... Is delicate because we can't really talk directly about our workplaces. Yes. <laughs> We're both in the criminal justice field. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it gives us another layer of perspective, and I can't help but wonder with so many of these touching, like prison systems and things like that, if that's going to play into how we how we deal with it, or because we know what we, we we've been around some people who may may have broken the law. We can say that safely. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I hope that's a controversial statement. No. I'm not trying to get us in trouble. I, I know. <laughs> There's only so much you can say in the field. Yep. So uh, you picked this list out of many. I'm curious why you picked this one. Ooh, good question. I think probably because it still fascinates me, which is probably why my career ended up that way, just that these are real. And as crazy and fucked up as things get, I could tell you crazier and more fucked up things, which is kind of, you know, but as an actor, it's interesting as well to get into that mindset. And once upon a time, I mean, as an actor, I know how I would have prepared for it. And I really think that it would be different now. Right. Just, I have more insight and I've seen 
a lot more. So with that experience, it's just interesting for me to watch the movies now, as opposed to back when I was actually in theater. Well, there's a weird responsibility. I mean, even with people who have done terrible things, maybe especially with people who have done terrible things, to not overly fake it, in quotation exactly. marks, right? Like, um, or, or to invent stuff. The more authentic you can be, usually, typically the better the film from, in, in my perspective. But I they're, they're going to play with reality in these movies that we're talking about. We see both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. So... Um, from an acting point of view, I think it would be especially daunting because if it's somebody super famous, even infamous, there's going to be lots of footage of them. So if you do a bad job, there'll be plenty of people who will know, who'll be able to tell you. you know? <laughs> and possibly the person themselves will tell you. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not in this case. Yeah. Actually, the, my biggest uh, question, if I was to like, did my takeaway from watching these six movies was who would win in a fight? Bronson or Chopper? <laughs> you know what? I'd go with Bronson. You think so? He's tough. He's tough, and yeah. he's also generally, like, my take on it is he's actually fucked in the head. Yeah. So when you add in crazy and tough. Yeah. There's n- <laughs> nothing put on about him. Yeah. But we'll discuss. Um, Jen and I, I, wanted, I don't know why I wanted to bring this up, but I just did. Once upon a time played homeless people <laughs> who were run over by a subway train together. Yes. I thought that was a real bonding moment in our, in our yes, relationship. Yes, with my gangrenous feet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we got to learn how to tango. Yes, that's right, because there's beauty and poetry in homeless people. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, unless there's anything else you want to say by way of introduction, I will list off the six movies we're talking about and we can start this thing going. Sounds good. Thank you so much for being here, Jen. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So the six movies on the theme of real scary folk, or real scary people, we have Bronson, starring Mad Max himself, Tom Hardy. Funny story. <laughs> yes. Tom Hardy, I thought that was a football player guy. No way. It, it's totally not. No, I had to not Google it. I was not like, he doesn't look like a football player. <laughs> well, when I first heard of Bronson, I thought it was a movie about Charles Bronson. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I didn't remember him being in prison, but okay. Um, we have Chopper, an Australian crime film starring Eric Bana. I know I, what Antipodean means now. There you go. <laughs> I was like, look at my big $5 word. It's educational. <laughs> That's edutainment. <laughs> um, Domino from the late, great Tony Scott. Uh, Iceman, starring popular actor Michael Shannon. Shannon? Having trouble talking today. Um, the movie that got Charlize Theron her Oscar, Monster. And we're going to wrap it up with David Fincher's procedural epic, Zodiac. Let's do it. My name's Charles Brunson. And all my life I've wanted to be famous. I knew I was made for better things. I just didn't know what happens. This is the post office I did over. This is what I got away with. And this is what they gave me. Seven years. Don't worry, son. You'll be out in four. Magic in there. Magic? 
You just pissed on a gypsy in the middle of nowhere. It's hardly the hottest ticket in town, darling. I love you. I love Brian. Who's Brian? So, uh, Nicholas Wending Reffin is the name of this director. I probably said that wrong, but that's the, <laughs> that's the phonetic pronunciation <laughs> of this man's name. He's an interesting... Nick. N- Nick. He's an interesting director. He's usually uh, got a very distinct visual take on his movies, mm-hmm. and uh, there's usually a very shocking visceral violence to them. I don't know if you've ever heard of a movie called Drive. I have not. That's probably one of his more popular <laughs> ones. Canadian Ryan Gosling. Dreamy Canadian Ryan Gosling in a sort of noir Michael Manners thriller. Anyway, if you like crime thrillers, it's worth a look. Cool. Um, this was one of his earlier works, and uh, one of the things that got people to pay attention to this guy with the funny name. Mm-hmm. And I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I, get I get it, it too. <laughs> it's um, like... Tom Hardy plays the titular character who... Uh, from a young age, let's say, is a difficult personality. And uh, instead of, you know, being set straight by being incarcerated or the criminal justice system, he sort of seems to fall in love with it. Yeah. He he enjoys the life behind bars. He enjoys the challenge, the psychological challenge. He takes on his entire life, which is largely spent in prison in solitary, as a personal challenge that he believes that he is winning. Yes. I'm fucking you over. <laughs> yes. Though I'm locked up 23 hours a day. You're the prison, <laughs> you're, you're the guard who's being paid to be here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the guy who's going to spend most of my life in this room, but somehow you're the idiot. Yeah. Right. It's an interesting psychology, and it's also presented in a very interesting and theatrical way. We see Tom Hardy speaking to alternately either a full auditorium or an empty auditorium, telling us his life story. And um, there's no real through line to this sort of netherworld narration. It's just a choice. There's artificial sort of selections that they make for some, uh, certain locations. The yeah. mental institution, for instance, seems like it's set in an abandoned opera house. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, "Mm." All of the rooms are partitioned just by flat carpets laid on the ground. There's sort of shaky, arty-fartiness to the movie. Which I did not expect. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that came way out of left field. I was like, what? (laughs) For me, I was really engaged, and I ended up really, really going with it. But um, I'm here to find out what you thought. (laughs) You know what? I loved it. I honestly loved it. Reading the back, I was like, I have no idea what to expect. Right. Did not expect like that pantomimish almost character like uh, I don't even know what you call it, mm-hmm. but when he was like he's got a paint, half, weird like, painted face, he's got this yeah. sort of weird circus clown almost aspect to his delivery. Yeah, and I was like, okay, is this in his head? <laughs> Which maybe you never really know with him. Like he's one of those characters that once you think you've got a read on him, yeah. you don't. And he's he almost, I think takes pleasure in that, that I can go totally left field and go even further when you think that <laughs> I'm done. He feels the need to make sure that everyone knows that he is the toughest motherfucker in the room at and, all times. Yep, and pretty much is. he is. Usually <laughs> he is. But it's interesting, especially because I think it's a really strong performance from Hardy, physically transformative as well as just really bold. But uh, he seems to question it too at times. Like... 
even he that that maybe that's part of the game for him like <laughs> to keep convincing himself that he's not a lunatic that this yeah. is just some no I'm winning I'm winning Jeremy that yeah. he's succeeding at what it achieves that a lot of the other movies don't achieve about their central figure is that I don't want to hang out with this dude I don't want to share a beer with him necessarily but I find him strangely charming <laughs> like yeah like. <laughs> I'm not sure he would like me, per se. I wouldn't be around him in uniform, let's put it that way. (laughs) But, I mean, even when he's being mean, he's not super bad. Like, it's not personal, personal and he could go way more. Like, he's not, it's not that he's necessarily holding back, you just know that this isn't the full deal. Like, the, and here's the first spoiler, when, uh, the art teacher, when he's painting him up and you know right. putting the apple in his mouth, I think it was. He could have done anything. Yeah. This guy is bound to a pole. Like, yeah. and you're sitting there going, "Okay, I don't know what I'm about to watch." Like, <laughs> it's interesting because that's the one sort of official in the institution that seemed to genuinely connect with him and complimented him on his artwork and gave a shit about what he had to say. All the rest of them were just waiting for him to have his inevitable flip out. Yeah. And that he would exploit this one guy who had shown him kindness. But that's almost why he did. Yeah, that like, was his opportunity. Any kindness was an opportunity. Like, yeah. no good we're canceling the art yeah. program. Fuck you. I'm going to get the art teacher. Yeah. No good deed goes unpunished. Yeah. <laughs> that dude's scarred for life. <laughs> oh, he, I doubt he works in a prison again. Yeah, either. probably not. <laughs> I'd give him credit if he did. And like I say, when I say I guess I'm charmed by him or I quote-unquote like him, like, he's a bad character, but in this sort of crop of bad characters, he does have a rough charm about him. You know what, that's what I noticed with a lot of them, is they have, albeit a kind of warped one, a moral code. Yeah. Like, I don't kill kids or women, I'm not going to actually kill anyone. Like, Bronson, I don't know, really killed anyone, he just... No, and I, you're right. Like I think he that he could have. He could have. Yeah. Especially after that dance scene, I was like, "Oh, did he kill?" No, <laughs> he's just knocked out. Uh, it was almost funny because when an incident happens, when you're waiting for people to come, it is a lot of sit and wait. You yeah. know, you, da 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 da. And you see that, and I was really happy that they did that. When I think it was a prison chaplain was in his cell, right? And he basically forcibly confines him. And then gets him to cover him in butter. Yeah. So they he's slippery. Yeah, like, with, 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 yeah, and he then kind of sit there, da, 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 you know? <laughs> We're just going to wait. So, I mean, I killed myself laughing. I'm a little warped. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. And yeah. it was like, yeah, that's totally how it is. You know? It's funny as long as it hasn't happened to you. Yeah, like, exactly. And then, yeah. Uh, that's another thing I got to compliment about Tom Hardy's performance. Like, uh, first of all, he, he worked out to his mind in the same way that, that this character would. So mm-hmm. he didn't work weights, he did push-ups, he did chin-ups, he did stuff that you would do in a cell to get that sort of hard, round, physical body. Yeah. And he spends several sequences of this movie stark naked. And, uh, Which shocked me right there. Like, that <laughs> right there is a bold thing. How many men do you actually see naked? Not many. You don't so. see it very often. And it's completely, it's not even excessive. It seems excessive because of how much we see in the movie, but. He was watching Black out of his bits for forever. I was like, no, that's commitment. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. No, it's not an easy thing to do and still retain, you know, your tough guy dignity on screen, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's fighting a bunch of fully armed guys with shields and batons. <laughs> stark naked. <laughs> it's shocking. Yeah, it, okay. <laughs> well, sometimes that's game on. <laughs> so I'm curious what you think about the artistic approach to it. I think that that's sort of what the director brought to it. I think, like, in a lot of ways, it would be a familiar movie if not for the artifice, mm-hmm. if not for the clown makeup, if not for the narration, if not for the weird choices of locations and sets. And, and the music, like yeah. the Pet Shop Boys playing for the dance scene, I was kind of like, at first, whoa, that's kind of. Not the but most I obvious like it. choice. I like but it. Somehow yeah. the right choice. Yeah, it worked. I was like, I don't think there's any other music you you could find that would work. You wouldn't think. And it just worked so well. I mean, the whole. There was a lot of times when it almost felt a bit clockwork orangish. Like when he goes to his mom and they have a new person. Is that, is, am I, I'm actually like, did I confuse the two? Because it's, she's so, oh, he'll be all better. And it's, do you know what you're, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like she's oblivious to what her son is. Well, I think all that his mother really represents is the one person in the world he's incapable of doing harm to. <laughs> right? <laughs> True, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much And that might represents. just be because he knows she's completely inept. Like, she, on, she's on his side in a yeah. way, I guess, but she she's not doing a lot to help him. Yeah, they're there, dear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll get out in four years. They're there. Yes, yes. If you're, you're behavior, <laughs> so good behavior, you know. Because yeah. he's always been yeah. so well behaved. Yes. And, I mean, that's what happens. They rack up charges in prison. Guess yeah. what? You're here longer. Yeah. So I don't know that I fully understand him. And this is another question that I'm going to ask of all of these movies. I think that on some level, your, your movie has to sort of tackle that. Like, why are they the way that they are? Mm-hmm. And in this case, it sort of just seems like mental illness. That sounds dismissive, but I don't, like, I can't think of another way. Like, for somebody to live and love and thrive in a solitary confinement environment. Yeah, because, I mean, it's the opposite even the bit of, the of love experience. story that's in there yeah. is totally a throwaway. So, mm-hmm. like, there's no real love story aspect to it. I mean, because she's with a boyfriend and going to marry him. (laughs) And he's like, okie dokie. Like, it's not as big a deal. Like, he's not going to throw himself off a bridge from that. Like, I agree. The only thing that I could find was mental illness that he's actually, and it's not like his mother was abusing him. Yeah. Because some of the other movies, you know, you kind of see that, that, okay. Somewhere that kind of could fuck up a kid you can see why maybe they're not so okay but he just kind of is it's uh, almost seems like a he could be a super villain or like a psychopath depending on what that thing is that he needs to quote unquote get off he gets off on the attention that he gets when he inflicts pain on other people yeah part of him loves the violence and part of him loves the attention even more that's why he changes his name to Bronson because you know it makes yeah. him more infamous somehow, yeah. right? I've heard of that guy. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it's 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 both ignorant and braggadocio at the same time. You would never call him on it, right? Yeah, you would never say, well, "Isn't that kind of dumb just to call yourself someone else's name?" Like you get cold cocked right yeah, there. Yeah, you would not finish your sentence, and you'd wake up <laughs> missing teeth, right? Yeah. And that's not good for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, I think, yeah, it, that's what got him off. And in the prison system, he was able to relatively well, safely execute that psychosis. Yeah, it's like a personality disorder, if, definitely. That if he was twisted in a different way, he would be getting off by, you know, being Buffalo Bill and kidnapping women, right? Yeah. <laughs> or, 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 you know, whatever your fix is. Like, it seems to be this com- thing that is compulsive. They have to stir the pot somehow. They have to inflict violence. Yeah. So, in a way, lucky for us, he spent most of his life in prison. <laughs> Which was interesting when they actually had the, uh, I forget the mental institution, the actual footage of the guy, right. the real guy, standing, peeing and stuff. And I, I remember seeing that. And it was kind of, I had no idea what his name was, but I do remember that whole riot. Right. And to him, that's like feather on his cap. Yeah. yeah. That was me. Yeah, that was Look me, at me, baby. you know. <laughs> there I am. Yeah, there's an interesting part of somebody who wants to be famous for doing bad things. It's just like, doesn't matter what kind of attention I get, as long as I'm yeah. getting attention, baby. And the more outrageous it is, the more, like, because it gets more attention, right? Yeah. More of a reaction. I, I, a lot of his stuff is poke, poke, poke. Let's see the reaction I get. Oh, yeah. that bothered you. Like, if you gave no reaction, it, instead of making him stop, where some people, if you give no reaction, they'd stop. That's only going to egg him on more. Like, yeah. really, there's not much you can do to not because he's going to keep he's gonna, the bear. He's going to look for that weak spot. He's going to exploit it. And oh, if you show him a kindness, that's a weak spot. If you show that you have a sense of humor, that's a weak spot. You have to live hard as a rock to survive in this environment. And yeah. he sort of prides himself in staying hard. Yeah. But again, does that make him a really cool dude? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm glad this movie exists. Yeah. <laughs> like... I know. Sometimes I struggle with that. Like, do we tell the stories? Because some people are cool with watching this, and some people, that's like a roadmap for them. Cool. I should do that. I could do it better. I guess it's okay to find him strangely charming, like I said I did too. Just don't look at him as a role model. Yeah, that's not a role model. Not a role model. <laughs> The one thing that I can criticize that mm-hmm. drove me absolutely nuts is when they were escorting him. He just had a major incident and they're escorting him cuffed to the front with C-clamp pulled because that ain't going to happen. Right. Like, it's, And that's the little nitpicky things that when you do have the law enforcement side, you watch and it's kind of like either trigger control or there's no way in hell you'd ever... I just say it's Britain in the 70s. They did things yep. backwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, he got clocked in the head with a cuff. <laughs> I wonder why. Maybe that's why we do it different now. Uh, and points for not vilifying the officials in the prisons for the yes. most part. Because yes. you see that a lot in movies, let's be real. And to, he didn't seem to really either. It was like totally not a, mm-hmm. this guy's an asshole. No, it's, it's just, <laughs> you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's right now I'm going and on. the sheepdog punching the time clock. Yeah, exactly. Day, exactly. Right? That's a good analogy. Like, it's not a... And that, that's what I liked about it because sometimes it's always the correctional officer is either a compromised or dumb Neanderthal guy yeah. or completely inept. It was... No. It was fair. He's doing his job. I'm doing mine. Yeah. I'm the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, we definitely know who the good guys and the bad guys Oh yeah, there's no us. doubt. <laughs> so, how would you describe yourself now? Just a bloke. Just a good bloke down on his luck. You know? <laughs> <laughs>
250,000 copies and I can't even spell. I'm semi-bloody illiterate. You've probably read all the newspaper stories about me and you've heard the word on the street about me. I'm a bloody disappointment to you, aren't I? I'll give you 20 seconds to produce some cash or I'll shoot you. There's no cash here. Here, there's no cash, all right? Cash, no. Robbo? No cash. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, so for years, I have loved Eric Bana. I've been this huge Eric Bana fanboy. I keep cheering for him to get another really great part. Other than I think maybe Munich, he's never really had the opportunity to flex his acting muscles the way he does in this movie Chopper. <laughs> for the longest time, I referred to Eric Bana as Chopper <laughs> from this movie. Uh, he's practically like this Australian criminal folk hero, right? And uh, it's interesting, there's a bit of Baron Munchausen in the mix here because part of the charm is that there's a little bit of full of shitness <laughs> to Chopper Reed. Like, yeah. he likes to blow some hot air and to inflate his ego and to sort of inflate his legend and his history. So uh, I think that the movie's taking an honest look at Chopper, but Chopper is never quite able to take an honest look at himself. Mm -hmm. But again, he has that strange, dangerous charm <laughs> that uh, was very present, present in, in Bronson, in that this is not someone that I'd want to hang out with, <laughs> this is not someone I want to have yeah, a beer no. with, but he's got this weird charm in that Chopper is authentic to being Chopper. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, for years I would quote to my friends, you know, look who's fucking leaving, right? <laughs> look who's fucking leaving. Like, I really, really enjoy this movie. So um, I come in a fanboy, but uh, what does somebody who's coming into this new feel about Chopper? I have no idea who Eric Bana is. There you go. I was like, cool. Yeah. He played the Hulk in one of the Hulk movies. Yeah, that doesn't even help. There Sorry. You go. I don't watch a lot of movies, believe it or not. Yeah, well, I'm here to help you with that. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, I thought it was really good when he started getting super paranoid because he got that, like he nailed that down, especially because he kind of had a reason to be paranoid. Like, and oftentimes there is kind of a reason, but he didn't overdo it because I've seen paranoia overacted where you're going, okay, now he's acting paranoid. He got that right down. Like you can't show that you're paranoid because that shows weakness exactly. and in a prison environment, which is where the first half of the movie largely takes place. And you're, you're not allowed to show weakness. You have to just be, but he almost gets it with his voice. Yeah. Like, and that was impressive to me because it just was like yeah. you can tell that he is without with him trying not to um the whole prison fight scene i mean like tough dude yeah he just got stabbed and he's like 
<laughs> that scene. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to set the table a little bit. Um, Chopper has been incarcerated. He's got a long stretch, something like a 16-year stretch he's got to do. So while he's in there, he wants to keep making a name for himself. But in his sort of quest to do this, he makes probably more enemies than friends because of his very blunt approach. Yeah. <laughs> That's putting it mild, too. Yeah. So, but he has this little cadre of buddies that he has around him. And yes, the scene you're talking about, he is betrayed and ends up getting stabbed several times by, to his mind, his only his, true best friend yeah. in the prison. And his, the stabs themselves and his reaction to them is so viscerally horrifying to me. <laughs> and even the other characters, because the one guy's so scared, and it's like, holy fuck, I'm what sorry, did we Chop. just unleash? Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, Chop. Yeah. Yeah. And then he keeps <laughs> stabbing him. Yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, You're not God. dying, what the hell? Yeah. The plan <laughs> was that yeah. you would lay down and just die after all yeah. these stabs. Oopsies, the, that didn't work. This is kind of embarrassing. It's awkward for both of us, <laughs> frankly. Yeah, <laughs> <it's>... <laughs> but again, just the special effects too. Like he takes off his shirt and we see the wounds on his flesh and he looks at them and takes them in and, and drinks in the betrayal and hugs his attempted murderer and forgives him. It's weirdly touching. I thought he was going to stab him. I was waiting for him to stab him. I'm like, whoa. No, he meant it. He I was kind of... And that... <laughs> There's something sincere <laughs> yeah. about Chopper. Right? Yeah, exactly. Unpleasant surprise. There you go. See, not all guys are bad. Or bad guys aren't always fully bad. Um, and that is one thing I would warn someone about watching this movie. There's a few sequences of incredible violence. And if you have a problem with sequences <laughs> of incredible violence... Didn't he guy get his ear cut off? Well, he, is, he got his yeah, ears cut off, right? This is one of the true things. Like, what Tro Chopper says he did and what he really did are hotly debated. If you're into uh, the history of Australian crime, right? <laughs> but what is true is that he was in such a hot mess with both the staff and the other inmates at this prison, that his days were numbered. Like, if he didn't get out of there, he was fucked. So he paid a man to chop off the top of his ears, slice them right off. And we see a man doing it with a little razor, with this weird casual, like he was like... Honestly, I giggled through that, and that just tells you that I'm not desensitized. <sighs> Your cutting off is funny. No, that Long story behind that one, but... <laughs> I did not giggle. <laughs> like, that was, and again, I've watched some hard movies for this podcast, but that shit. I guess I've seen the hard stuff in real life, so it was like, that was funny. Yeah. And again, he's being wheeled out of the prison, and he's got all his bandages wadded on each side of his head. He looks like Princess Leia, like with, 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 with ginger hair. And he's laughing at the guards and all the prisoners saying, look who's fucking leaving. I've, I've won. Yeah. <laughs> Woohoo! It doesn't matter on minus parts. It's all good. That's what it took to get out of this particular scenario. So what's interesting is, is that then the movie shifts gears. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is a noticeable and calculated turn. Uh, it becomes a little less action-oriented and a little bit more what it's like for someone who's been institutionalized to sort of reintegrate into the world. Yeah. Not even just with the normal world, but with 
the rough edge friends that he had. Well, because you kind of wonder, did he ever have a chance? Like when you throw him out, here you go, you're done. Now what? Yeah. Like, do you try to get clean? Not if you're hanging around with your old chums. Yeah. Not going to happen. You can't do anything that you're familiar with. Anything you're unfamiliar with, the conversation starts, well, I just got out of prison. Yeah. Please don't run away. <laughs> yes, yep. yes. Um, so it's interesting because we see him reconnecting again with his criminal past and bumping into these people that were involved with the original <laughs> stabbing incident. <laughs> and they're all understandably quite frightened of Chopper. And Chopper, at this point, I think, would have been in a position to really want to take revenge. It's, he's no longer in the midst of his grief about the, the betrayal. Now he's like, fuck you guys. Yeah. I've but thought he, about it. I changed my mind. <laughs> he expresses pity. And I mean, again, I'm not calling him a hero. Like, he could have killed that guy, but he didn't. Like, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't win you points. Yeah. Don't kill people. Yeah, right? don't kill people. But he sees this guy, and he's so pathetic. He's... He's like a junkie, his wife is not much better off, and she's pregnant with kid number two, and there's just, there's no happy ending here. There's nothing he could do, like, yeah, to make this guy's life any worse. Like, Pretty much, yeah. So, <laughs> so what, what possible revenge could you wish, you know? Yeah, death might actually be relieving him. You That's, never know. So since since this life is all we get, as far as we know, I mean, uh, I think that it's a worse punishment that you stay alive and be miserable yeah. than you be executed. Just a personal thing. I'm not trying to turn this into some sort of political debate. <laughs> let's 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 have an in-depth discussion yeah. about the death penalty, <laughs> shall we, Jim? Oh, <laughs> I didn't um, come prepared for that. <laughs> so overall, I really like the movie, but I think. I find myself really liking the first half of the movie more than I like the second half of the movie. You know, he lost any kind of sympathy that I was feeling when he was complete dick to his girlfriend. Like right. when he's chasing her through the house and basically the abusive guy. To me, it's hard to justify that. So any kind of sympathetic feelings that you you have for him, right. totally out the window. Yeah. And I mean, again... Probably exactly what he's known. I mean, you revert to type. This yeah. is what I know. This is what I do. This is how our relationship has always been. If something isn't working out my way, I can usually yell or fight my way to a solution. Exactly. I'm not. I'm not defending that position. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah. saying that's I, what his I, position. And is. that's where he comes from. Yeah. yeah. And so, you kind of bounce. Like, I always have trouble with that because when you understand why somebody does something it doesn't necessarily forgive it no so sometimes it exacerbates it really it yeah like, so you can feel i can feel sympathy for someone but also think you're a total fucking asshole like i don't have sympathy but i do it's i'm, I'm not explaining that well but if, if you lash out of fear it's it's something that i can be more sympathetic to if you lash out out of anger or out of you know punishment there's, there's just it's hard to take any kind of angle on it especially when that is what has thrown you in jail in the first place probably mm -hmm. and it it just at some point you have to grow up and say my anger gets me into trouble yes <laughs> i should do something about that you know and he devolves into this paranoia and i mean that colors it as well because his anger is totally laying beside his paranoia yeah. and they fuel each other 
and he's not sure who to trust anymore. It's like, who's my friend? I think especially after that, that stabbing incident, because he'd made certain choices about who was good and who was bad. And I don't think he'd ever had his reality sort of questioned that exactly. dramatically before. And so now there's the paranoia and he's out and I mean, rightfully so, was paranoid at the club. Yeah. He took the different exit. Yeah. <laughs> like, hmm, or that was a lucky choice, maybe? I don't know. Now he's going to... That, that unfortunate thing that happens when you live a life of crime, that you, you know, trust is a, is a danger, right? It's a weakness, like we were talking about before, you know? Yeah. Uh, if he cares too much about this girl, that makes him vulnerable. That means she can have some sort of control or ownership over parts of him. You know, like which in a way she does, which is brings which out is the abusive side of it. What's pissing yeah. him off so much? Yeah, and, and it's weird. Like <laughs> he's hitting her, but it's about him. Yeah, right. So that's why you can't. It's a, it's not a forgivable action. <laughs> no, <laughs> but uh, um, I think that like again, I can't say enough good things about Eric Bana. He was like a a, a wannabe up and coming stand up comedian on the circuit in, in Australia. Yeah, out, really? And then, and then he plays this? And then he plays Chopper. And uh, then he gets farmed into the United States. And he's been in a lot of high-profile movies. He was in the nouveau version of Star Trek. And he did, like, he's done a lot of interesting things. But I've rarely seen him used to his capability because he just blows me away in oh, this yeah. movie. Like, like, whatever problems I might have with the tonal shift in the second half, and I think it's authentic to the story they're telling, I just, I like the first hour better than the second, what can I say? I, I still <laughs> think it's worth watching the whole movie. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I just look for threads to pull because i got to stack these in a group of six. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, yes. Um, but please watch the movie, and uh, yeah, uh, somebody give Eric Bana a job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something he can sink his teeth into, yeah. like he really did. There's no holding back. So totally as an actor, like the yeah. actor mind, you watch going, wow. Like, And you're right, Bronson probably would win in the fight, but holy shit, would I pay attention to It would be an awesome fight. fight. <laughs> 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 it would be, that would be like better than UFC. Yeah. Way better. Is there anything else you want to say about the chopper? Uh, I, I hope, hope I was mowing over you there. Nope. I think that covered pretty much everything. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Domino, you're with me on the side. Choco, you cover the rear. My name is Domino Harvey. I am a bounty hunter. You're probably wondering how a girl like me arrived here. I'm here to ask you a few questions. What I say will determine whether or not I spend the rest of my life in prison. I'll tell you everything I know. Let's start at the beginning. My father died when I was a little girl. After Dad passed on, Mum was determined to move us to Beverly Hills. That 90210 world. It's not for me. What's it like to have the body of a 10-year-old boy? Have you heard a nose job? No. In the end, it all came down to fate. That's Ed Mosby. The most legendary bounty hunter in all of Los Angeles. Why would a delicate little thing like you want to be a bounty hunter? I want to have a little fun. That's my best friend, Choco. He's always fancied me. What you looking at, darling? Nothing. We may have been dysfunctional, but we worked. We were family. 
36 hours ago, $10 million was stolen from an armored car. Don't any of you make a peep. Let's see you, Barbara. Freeze the tape. That's a damn purse, ladies. Where's my money? I can deliver these thieves to you. I will employ bounty hunters. No one could have expected what happened next. Okay, um, Tony Scott. I haven't actually talked a lot about Tony Scott films. I just haven't done a lot of them, but, uh, his brother Ridley Scott is this big Oscar bait guy. He does a lot of, you know, high profile movies, Alien, Blade Runner, most famously, he won his Oscar for Gladiator. Tony Scott tends to do more like action oriented films. Uh, I can did, see that, yeah. He did like Top Gun. Uh, he did, you know, uh, Enemy of the State, the Will Smith movie. I'm probably listening to a bunch of movies that you haven't seen because you don't watch a lot of the movies. I have not seen any of the above. Generally speaking, he was never as respected as his brother. But I've always really liked him as a technical filmmaker. The later into this film career, uh, the more kind of experimental he got. So we come to this domino pseudo-biopic, as by its own admittance, it says based on a true story, sort of. <laughs> yeah, this is the one that I found the least Real true? world. Yeah. And you can definitely tell when it's like, yeah, that never happened. I do yeah. not recall the stratosphere blowing up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretty sure I remember that. <laughs> um, but what we are seeing is Lucy Liu is getting Kira Knightley, who's playing Domino, to testify about her involvement in a ridiculous shootout, heist gone wrong, <laughs> convoluted plot about a million dollars stolen from an armored truck. We can get into it if we want to, but... Um, so the whole story is being told out of sequence in a really sort of chaotic, acid flashback type of way. And it's interesting, but I don't fully understand why. First of all, they don't establish her as being a huge drug. They don't establish her as being a huge druggy person, right? No, it's, it's I just... never got that feeling really at all until she, it was almost like she was drugged, though, because... Well, when, it's, yeah. it was a choice of perspective. And then later on, about the halfway point, they get mixed up with this reality TV crew and a couple cast members <laughs> from 90210. So we have the added camera crew following them around so they can use that for some ver variety style filmmaking, sort of found footage angles. But the movie was already so about its style. And then adding this extra layer, I think somewhere in the presentation, the story gets a little bit lost for me. And uh, it's interesting because the guy who wrote the screenplay, Richard Kelly, uh, wrote, wrote and directed this cult movie called Donnie Darko. A lot of shrugs Sorry. coming from him. <laughs> um, he was kind of a hot property at the time and uh, has sort of since, since disappeared. But I think that at, when I first watched the movie, I thought it just failed because of my expectation. I saw that name on the screenplay. I saw the premise, I saw Tony Scott, and I thought, this movie's going to be awesome! <laughs> and I didn't like it so much. And I watched it again, I liked it more mm -hmm. than I did the first time I watched it. I felt like I got into the story a little bit more. But I don't really ever felt like I understood Domino. Yeah, like, I liked it because I had zero expectation. I had no idea who Domino Harvey was. was. For me, yeah, the story gets lost because there's like the, like Brian Austin, what? Yeah. <laughs> 902 and I, oh guys, like, but it was funny. Right. 
I mean, cinematically, it's beautiful. The colors and the kind of blurriness in all the film. Yeah, the split focus, I mean, the shaky camera. They do a lot of the light reversal shots and like, uh, different uh, time speeds on the camera on the film to get sort of jittery, blurry camera shots. It looks interesting, but I'm not sure yeah. why it's being told that way. And I agree because it was. I mean, she's a badass character. Right. She's definitely an equal, which is what I liked. Right. Because a lot of times the girl is, you know, eye bait, eye candy. That's the word, not bait, eye candy. And I mean, she is. Kira Knightley's gorgeous, but... She's gorgeous and she's heavily sexualized. In fact, there's even a scene where she does a lap dance to get information. And I kind of thought, would she have done that? Like... On her first mission, again, like... Maybe she was making a statement. I don't know. Like, for me, I didn't like that part. Yeah. The scenarios are increasingly less credible. That's why I like it. Says like, you can definitely tell. Yeah. Yeah. Right here, that's not... Like, yeah. that's where it ends. Yeah. Yes, there was a real-life person named Domino Harvey. And All of this may or may not have happened. Yeah. Hunter, and uh, she got mixed up in a few rough situations. I'm sure all of that is true. Yeah. Um, but I don't understand why she rejected her rich, spoiled, you know, <laughs> lifestyle that she had that seemed like any wish she could want and uh, uh, up to including nunchucks, right? Exactly, There's a scene yeah. of her sitting by a pool. She's supposed to be 16 years old, uh, ignoring everybody else who's sitting by a pool enjoying themselves and she's just sitting there with a sour look on her face. Spinning. Yes, very cranky. Yeah, very cranky. nunchucks, right? It was like, they're letting you do exactly what you want to do. They're supporting your interests and you're just feeding them back vitriol. Like, yeah. I don't like you. Yeah. I kind of, and it's uh, an interesting psychology. I've called it on people who are close to me. I've got a very militarized family in some <laughs> ways and a lot of people involved in the military and police and stuff like this. And I respect their work. But I think it's interesting that certain people have a call to something that in some way will always put them in danger or put them in positions that could be potentially dangerous. Like, my dream is to either be a police officer, uh, a military guy, or like, I, I don't know, work for the CIA. But yeah, in all of firefighter, those, something that... Yeah, yeah, in all those scenarios, it involves you kicking down a door and putting yourself in danger and potentially having to hurt someone else to save yourself. Like, why psychologically... Is that an essential ingredient, right? Yeah. And it seemed that Domino, the essential ingredient that she had to have to get off or whatever, was danger. Yeah. She had to be in imminent danger. She had to be like being the strongest, bravest person in the room, or else it was boring. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I mean. And that makes for an entertaining character, but I don't know if it makes for a likable one. <laughs> yeah. And I watched the little bit at the end with the real Domino, right. and it was like, "What? How did you pick Kira Knightley from?" Because Hollywood. she was yes. <laughs> because Hollywood. they look nothing alike. <clears throat> Their mannerisms are different, and yeah, it was interesting because you kind of got a feel. I watched it after, and you get the feel that yeah, this is very embellished. What they almost wanted Domino Harvey to be. Right, um, and. The British accent, too. Like, she didn't try to do an American <laughs> accent. Domino just inexplicably has a British <laughs> accent for whatever reason. I Prep mean, school. 
that it's is prep it school. Is. <laughs> but like they went super authentic with the look and the tattoos and everything else. But yeah, don't worry about the accent here. Yeah, That's you're fine. all good. That's fine. Just be pretty. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting too because they explored the love kind of angle with her and that choco. Right. And even then, she seems so standoffish that it's like she doesn't like him, she doesn't like him, she doesn't like him. Oh, they're having sex. Yeah. And it's kind of, okay, she needed to be drugged to like him and now she loves him. And what? When did she start liking him? Because it seemed like she rebuffed every advance he made and he was very clear that he liked her. And then it, it just... Edgar Ramirez plays the Choco character you're talking about. And he's another interesting one. Like, they basically say that his childhood was so screwed up that the reason he's good at hurting people is just because of how screwed up his childhood was. And whether or not, I mean, as long as she leads him on, as long as she pretends not to be interested in him, she's clearly attracted to him. Clearly because of that. Yeah. <laughs> right? And that's, again, a really strange thing that, that we're supposed to connect to. Um, in a weird way, I did want them to get together. I'm cheering for the guy. But yeah. then there's the scene where like, he smashes a TV because he's so sexually frustrated. Right? <laughs> and then you're like, this guy is dangerous. Yes. Uh, maybe you should be saying yes, sweetheart. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, that's not a positive message that I want to be sending out. No, either. no. There's, there's not good messages, definitely. Um, don't stalk people don't smash TVs to get them to be with you no no I also think that at two hours and seven minutes there's some fat to be trimmed why do we spend so much time with the uh, uh, Jerry Springer show yeah why do we spend so much time with the 90210 guys like that they could show up as cameos and give them a couple of lines and it's kind of funny we get it she's she spent her life hating the 90210, quote, lifestyle, and then she ends up in a reality TV Honestly, show Honestly, all that stuff could have been gone. Like, yeah. it's funny, but it's... It breaks any kind of thin reality that they have left. Yeah. Because the style is pulling us out, and... Uh, honestly, they're they kind of referred to as, like, the sassy black ladies. I did find them a little bit shrill and a little bit cartoonish. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll play the ignorance card. I don't know a lot of sassy black ladies, but... They didn't feel authentic to me. You know, they felt a little cartoony. Yeah. And their movie was trying to feel real. So that... Yeah. that it was a bit key, Keystone Copish is how it felt. It, I mean, it was funny and I kind of, haha. But between that and the 90210 stuff, mm-hmm. that felt so artificial that it was like, okay, aren't we trying to go on her life? Mm-hmm. I, I actually wish they would have told her life story a bit more. Like, as much as the explosion bit at the end was totally cool, like, you can tell that he does action stuff just by yeah, that. Like, absolutely. And he does it well. Yeah. But I kind of wish that they would tell her story and the real side of her story. I mean, she died of a fentanyl overdose or something yeah, like that. Yeah, very so, shortly after the movie came out. Yeah, so... And you don't really get the feeling that she's this hardcore druggie through it. No. And, and I, I mean, think that's missing. I think that yeah. clearly was something that was true in real life that they utterly glossed over here. Yeah. And so you kind of start wondering, what else did they miss? Well, and then you start to think, well, is this just glamorization then? Because look how cool they're making. They're going out of their way to make Carolina look so badass and cool. And she does. But is Domino a role model? 
the way Lumina Savari and Christopher Walken, these two TV producers, are just loving it every time she throws someone down and is all badass on screen. Like, this woman is going to be a star. Yes, but should she be? Yeah. Like, I think that a smarter movie would be making a comment with that. I don't think this movie making a comment on it. I think they're just no. saying Domino is fucking badass. Yeah, look at this. <laughs> right? Explosion, explosion. Yeah. And that's what works, though. Like when they make the Winnebago do the triple cartwheel in the air. <laughs> like that's that was pretty, pretty cool, yeah. Right? That's cool. The <laughs> firefight at the end is pretty cool. The stakes are high. It's kind of one of those frustrating things where everybody gets shot but nobody gets killed. So well, and it's so, yeah, like, what? <laughs> Did they kill the kids or not? I yeah. mean, the kids were good at being obnoxious kids. I'll give them that. What yeah. was the name? Franco? Yeah, James, the mob Whatever, kids yeah. That, that sort of bring things to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. The plot is convoluted. And again, it's a movie that's not about its plot. It's not about anything but its style. And that's too bad because there's a lot of substance. In, in the premise. Yeah, I mean, cinematically, it's beautiful how how it was shot and everything. It's almost poetic. Yeah. But then it, yeah, it kind of loses. I think there was a lot more that they could have done with the real Domino character. Yeah. And I think that it's a movie being told in a way that Tony Scott sees the world, not in the way that Domino does. Uh, it's hard not to feel this sort of shadow over the movie, but it was. I don't know, five or six years after this, Tony Scott committed suicide and jumped oh. off of a bridge. Hmm. Um, and there's a lot of conjecture as to what, what it was. Was the medication? Was it depression? Did he have some bad medical diagnosis? We don't know. It's not really our business. Yeah. But um, this guy was clearly maybe wrestling with some stuff. And uh, I like that his work is personal. And I do like a lot of Tony Scott's films. And I want to like Domino, but I'm kind of mixed on it, when yeah. I'm honest. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt. I liked it, but more as an action movie, yeah. not based on a real life story, then you can kind of forgive a bit more of that. But if you want it as a biopic, yeah, you got to pick a it's path. Not, yeah, it's one world? or the other. But this is the real world. Let's let's exist there. If it's a cartoon, let's exist there. I love a good cartoon, <laughs> you know. But you can't be both. It, it was interesting watching the actual little footage bits that they had of the real Domino. Mm -hmm. She was actually kind of interesting. Totally not what I expected. The shaved head, whatever. Yeah. She looked, you know, very much more tough than Kira Knightley. She had that junkie chic to her, right? She did. <laughs> and I mean, she's wearing a suit, yeah. which I did not expect either. And there was something still about her that it was almost like she didn't, like, I'm going along with this. This is going to make me money. Yeah. But even she, it wasn't telling her story and she knew it. And yeah. you could, that actually came through. And it's not just that the Kira Knightley is pretty. Like the same way, you know, yeah. uh, I don't know, uh, Julia Roberts doesn't look anything like Aaron Brockovich, really. But it, it, it's Hollywood, yeah. right? Yeah. I get it. I get it that you're going to put a name star to center this movie. But I, I think you're right. I think the more interesting story would be to stick closer to the truth. Yeah. Roses are red, violets are blue. My Annabelle is as golden as the light of the moon. <laughs> What's this? You think I'm a spoiled brat? You like to be taken care of. There's nothing wrong with that. I like the way you take care of me. You're a family man now? A wife? Kids? Who are you kidding?
closing lab. Sorry, but you're out of a job. You follow orders, you got everything to gain. If you don't have it in you, now's the time to say it. about leaving witnesses at a murder scene. I don't kill women or children. I have loose ends now. All right, kids, that's it. Go on home. We're closed. You got a second? So is it my lucky day or my last? I want to be my partner. You take care of the details. I do the hit. Might as well look out for each other, right? You're doing hits behind my back. I can imagine what you've been telling them, thinking their dad's a decent guy. I'm really proud of you, Richie. Our paths cross again. I'm gonna bury your own family. Dad? Serving Carter is gonna be called the Iceman, starring Michael Shannon as a real dude named Richard Kolkinski. Kolkinski? Kolkinski? The Polish guy. Gesundheit. Yeah. Um, and the, it's an interesting idea. This guy, when he was arrested in the mid-80s, I want to say, um, admitted to killing over 100 people, which is impressive, I guess, in its own right. Yeah. But more impressive, his wife and his daughter had no idea at all that this was going on. Um, and that's the big mystery about this man, this guy, the Iceman, like... Who was he? How was he able to live such a double life so effectively? And it's a really interesting premise. And it's an interesting movie. Yeah. But I'm not sure if they answer that question. <laughs> I'm not sure if they answer for me how he's able to do that, what, what that is about him. They show it to us. Yeah. But they don't answer it. See, and I just think it's like the psychopathic mind that compartmentalizes. This is work. Yeah. I mean, you have the scene where they're talking shop. It's like the office scene, but yeah. they're chopping bodies and sawing them. Yeah. Another day at the office. But then he goes home to his wife and kids. Yeah. And, and it, he's a good husband and a good father for the most part. I mean, sometimes he brings his work home with him. That, that, yeah. There are scenes where we see him venting some steam. Yes. Where he's having a fight with the wife and it's sort of... <laughs> and he destroys his kitchen. Yeah, it accelerates to destroying the kitchen in a way that it probably shouldn't have accelerated that quickly, you know? Yeah. Like, clearly, Winona Ryder, who plays his wife, like, I, I get the feeling like she senses that there's something there, but she has no idea. Like, and they'll give her credit. She actually played that naive wife mm-hmm. well because it could have kind of went way like cartoony or... Made too melodramatic, yeah. After, but you think either you're stupid or you're willfully ignorant, which uh, makes me hard to pity you. Exactly. Whereas, I mean, they've got the scene where they're talking at the dinner table, and she always thought it was that he's dubbing Disney movies when he's dubbing porn. And everybody else seems to know, right. because the wife or girlfriend of the other one is like, oh, if that's what you call porn. <laughs> and she seems kind of shocked. Yeah. But she doesn't investigate it further. And that would be the only time where it might have slipped. But otherwise, I mean... She takes everything he says 100% face value, which, I mean, who wouldn't? He I goes to work. Part of home. it is like of who she was and the time that she was. And at that time, 
You just listened to what your husband said. Yep. Being the obedient wife was what was expected. He's doing investments and he's bringing home the money. I mean, yeah. you would he doubt it more you. if he didn't. He loves his daughter and he does. Like like I was saying in Bronson, his mom was maybe the one person in the world who was safe around him. Yeah. These two girls were completely safe. They oh, were never 100%. in any danger from him. Yeah. The rest of the world... Well, you could you could live forever or die tomorrow. But he had the line, no kids, no, kids, no, no kids. women. Yeah. Well, that would be wrong. Yes. <laughs> right? That's my moral line. <laughs> and I'm sticking to it. You know. The movie's full of really good actors, too. Uh, Ray mm-hmm. Liotta, basically, is the gangster that recruits him into this life. And there's a very memorable scene where he hands Michael Shannon a pistol and tells him to go and execute a homeless man on the street. And a lot kind of, of times, his test. Yeah. yeah, it was his test. Go put that man out of his misery, as he puts it. He's still taking that step to make sure that you don't think of this guy as a real person, as like an animal on the street, but you have to be able to pull the trigger. And that was interesting to me. I assume it's part of his true story. I don't know. I didn't do the research. But uh, <laughs> that, yeah, the test that he has to pass is not on some criminal. It's just some random guy at the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, if the movie wanted us to like him or were glamorizing him in some way, they would have taken that step to make sure that we knew that this guy was this huge yeah. piece of shit. Yeah, this right? is a awful scum. Yeah. It's not a loss kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah, because most of the people that he kills, and this is true in real life, uh, were, were bad people. It yeah. wasn't like they were they were playing they don't deserve their face necessarily but they were playing in that game yeah. where if you piss off the wrong person you get paid a visit and you get whacked and, and I mean even at that point where and that gangster couldn't have known that he'd already killed someone yeah slit his throat for you know a pool game and saying some shit about the girl he was dating <laughs> totally cold blood slits his throat and walks away which not I mean, a good person. Not a good person. <laughs> obviously not scared. Right there you get the sense that he's not even scared to get caught at yeah. any point. Uh, and so you kind of already know he's probably going to do it, but there's still that moment of, is he actually going to go shoot the homeless guy? Especially when he sits down and starts talking. And then, yeah. oh yeah, there it goes. Yeah, he's done. He needs the job. He, he needs to get in. Yeah, he needs the job some way. And that's the line. Like, I mean, I don't, they don't show it this, but in my head, that's it. It was like, at the end of the day, he has to do what he has to do to feed his family. Yep, this is my job. And it pays well. And uh, I don't think he loses sleep over it. I don't think, he just assumes whoever is getting killed is getting killed for a reason. And he's somehow able to be okay with that. Yeah. Um, And he's uh, one of these rare cases of people who were caught and are 100% cooperative with the police. They said the same thing about mass murderer Jeffrey Dahmer. He couldn't have asked for a more cooperative uh, (laughs) mass murderer. Once he was caught, he was like, "Uh, this is what I did, this is how I did it, and you should really try and stop this from happening again. Yeah, you know, just so you know. (laughs) So um, it's an interesting movie, uh, and like the title, it is cold. And I think that coldness might be one of the things that keeps me a little bit back from the movie, at least compared to some of the other movies on the list. Yeah. And I mean, as much as he loves his daughters, he still is kind of detached in a way. Like, I, he's not the lovey. He, like he is, but he isn't, but he's himself. not, yeah. 
he, he always keeps a measure of calm. So when you start to see him lose that, when he starts smashing things, the scene where they have the car accident, he uh-huh. rear-ends someone, and, and he freaks fault. out. Yeah, it's his fault. Yeah. He's not paying attention. The guy says, fuck you to his wife or whatever, and <laughs> he absolutely loses his shit. I mean, that's believable. He Escalates goes, the situation yeah, and starts yeah. chasing the I guy. mean, starts chasing the guy. The girls were very annoying to me. The screaming, stop the car, stop the car. Oh right. my God, we're not at Ikea. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> shut up. He's already well past the point. Yeah, see, I found, his, I found his daughters extremely annoying, like fingers on the chalkboard annoying. Oh, yeah. was, Sweetheart, you were about to get yourself killed. Why are you coming out to the car? But, I, know. I, 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 I connected to Winona Ryder, which is kind yes. of nice. Yes. You know, before she stole all of that high fashion, you know, <laughs> dresses and whatnot, she stole our hearts in the early 90s. Yes. And it's nice to see her doing well again. Yes. Uh, I, I, I miss the Winona of Heather's and Beetlejuice era where, you know, she was really killing it. Um, and it's not an easy role because it's sort of like the beleaguered wife role, right? And but, you can overdo that so easy, but she doesn't. like. Yeah. She knows there's something wrong, but she has no idea how big it is because he's really good at protect. She doesn't come off as naive. She comes off as like just out of her depth. She can't. She can't solve this problem because who could? Well, who would guess that? Oh, oh, you're killing people. You know, like (laughs) in the end of the day, if it turned out he was seeing someone on the side, that would have been such a relief in comparison. (laughs) Like, oh, you were just cheating on me. Well, okay. That makes sense. I thought you were a mass murderer. You know, it's the little things. (laughs) But he probably, like, it seems that he kept it very much to, like, nine to five hours. Sees the kids off. Okay, day at the office. Who do I kill today? Let's get it done. Chop up the bodies. Fuck him. Yeah, and again, unequivocal. um, Chris Evans, who's popular these days because he plays Captain America in the Marvel movies. I have seen that. Yay! Yay! (laughs) We found a movie that's (laughs) seen. It's interesting to see him play not such a nice guy, but it's fun. I like his use in the plot because he's a guy that Michael Shannon seems to become genuine friends with. Yeah. But when he has a hint of a suggestion that he might have been involved in a plot that involved his family, you, sir, are out of the game. No fuss, no muss, no tears, no apologies. And you know that he's prepared because he brought a silencer. Yeah, yeah. Like... uh, he takes it seriously. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is the last hit that we see him do. He's confronted by a mafia guy, and he wants to get paid for a botched job or you know something that wasn't supposed to happen. And he's being told, you know, fuck off, basically. <laughs> yeah. And he goes like he goes to reach for a gun, and the guy talks him down in such a way that you believe, oh, yeah, oh, he, crisis averted. He was close. He was he's gonna close. live. And he even goes to line, and for a second I thought you were really going to fuck up my Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and then, no, it doesn't, yep. you, you, cannot, you cannot cross a line with him. That is it. You, know, you threatened my family. I told you yeah. not to do that, and then you did it. Yeah. I was pretty clear. Yeah, I could not have been <laughs> yeah. clearer about that. So. And you made the choice. Yeah. And I think that's where he does compartmentalize. You made the choice. Yeah. My hands are tied. Yeah. I gave you clear instructions you didn't follow them here you go mm. my job was clear i did my job there you go there's some papa bear in me you know i just yeah. lost my temper at the, my, my boy's school and i don't like doing it <laughs> but like just don't mess with my kids right yeah. that is the one thing i can identify with the ice man oh, absolutely. okay do not fuck with my yeah. kids 
you can do a whole lot to me and I can probably forgive it or at least ignore it but mm -hmm. yeah but it's it's just interesting because as the we, we see him leaving his driveway and the police lights light up and you realize that the net's been sprung and because of the number of cars this is not a small thing they're not here about a parking ticket yeah. right? <laughs> and you see that in Winona Ryder's face I She's thought it was like, really good her utter what? like why <laughs> like I can only imagine in real life what that would be like for his wife yeah. if that's actually how it went down that what but that's <laughs> that's exactly it though I feel it through her mm -hmm. I don't feel it through him I still don't know I still don't know him and and maybe that's a brilliant thing about the movie and maybe it's a flaw about the movie I don't I honestly I, I'm not really reconciled on it yeah it's interesting because in a way that's exactly how he would be right? right you'd never actually get to know him yeah but yeah um, one of fun fact i did find out which they changed in the in the movie for whatever reason i guess it was darker they said that uh, he never saw his wife or kids again and uh, that's not true before yeah. he died in prison when he was getting ill he was granted access to his family and they did come to see him so i don't mm. know why they chose to to lie about that and i'm yeah. sure about the specifics of it, the individual you know sequences there's a lot of liberties taken but the facts of the case are this guy killed over a hundred people for money, and nobody who knew him had any idea. Yeah. And uh, he's the Iceman. I, I, I watched <laughs> the movie, I liked the movie, but I, I didn't break through the ice. <laughs> <laughs> the ice remained. Yeah. yeah. When I was little, I had a lot of dreams. And I was always secretly looking for who was going to discover me. Was it this guy, or maybe this one? You never knew. I lived that way for a long, long time, dreaming like that. And one day, it just stopped. I'm kind of broke right now, so I'm just trying to make, make some cash somehow. Well, maybe I can help you out. By the time I met Selby Wall, all I wanted was a beer. Can I buy you that drink? I got my own money. I'm just trying to talk to someone. Do you want to stay with me? Who was that person? She's just a friend I made. I think she was a street person. Hey, lady love, you need a ride? Can I ask you a question? Are you a prostitute? Hey, man, don't go too far. I just want a little privacy. 30 straight up. You girls, you know, I love them and I hate them. Where'd you get this car? I just borrowed it. Life is funny. It's also strange how things can be so different than you think. Are you okay? I got everything going for me. I'm not a bad person. I'm a real good person. Police urge anyone with any information about these crimes to contact your local authorities. Me? Killed that man. What do you think? Okay, um, writer-director Patty Jenkins won a lot of awards and uh, got Charlize Theron her Oscar for this film, Monster, based on true life serial killer Kathleen Wernos? Eileen. Eileen, yes. thank you. Eileen Wernos. Um, and uh, the movie is quite a harrowing experience. It does a lot of things that I really love real life, movies based on real life things do, in that it went to the places, the locations where these events took place. Oh, really? I didn't realize that. Shot them there. They, That's they made cool. a real, real effort to be as authentic as possible. And they did the that Hollywood. That comes through too. It does. It really they does. did the Hollywood thing of hiring a very pretty woman to play a not so pretty woman, but then they went the extra steps 
to make that really pretty woman not the really pretty woman. Charlize Theron gained 30 pounds and they put a bunch of sun-bleached, freckly makeup on her and just... And dark eyes. Yeah. The only thing that bothered me was the teeth because she was sucking on them lots. Yeah. And that was the only little thing. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe they needed to give them to her like a week early, but... Uh, so the transformative performance of Charlize Theron is absolutely amazingly impressive and the attention to detail and the authenticity brought to the project is worthy of respect. Yeah. Uh, I can't, like, I can't underwrite that. I wanted to put that front and center mm-hmm. because after that I'm going to start saying some negative things. Yeah, I felt the same. I, like, I know that it won a lot of rewards coming into it. I knew that. And it says it all over the package, but there was just something that was... I think the difference might be, Jen, because you and I are on the unpopular position of this, is that we've directly had to deal with people who suffer from personality disorder. I think so. Because the whole time I'm going, they're doing this like a love story. And I get that, but that doesn't excuse any of it. Like her first kill, yes, she's being like, yeah. crowbarred up her you yeah. haha it's not good <clears throat> that one self-defense pretty much cut and dried for sure she could have done that but then the way that she went on and killed everyone after that not justifiable in any way shape or form there's no love story that justifies that shit so my for problem me, with the movie is just that uh if it was I'm sorry, but if it was a male character, not a female character, this would be straight up offensive. If we were doing a movie about Jeffrey Dahmer and he was a lonely gay man just trying to find love and the only way he could see to connect to people would be to torture them and try and turn them into like sex zombies. No, no, we're not going to make that movie. It wouldn't occur to us to make that movie. No. Right? Uh... She is neither the hero nor the victim of this story. Yeah. And I don't think that Patty Jenkins or Charlie's Theron acknowledge that. And it's a problem. Yeah. And that's where I kept watching. I'm like, I know they want you to like her, mm-hmm. but I don't. And she's very much... I, I read somewhere that she was diagnosed bipolar. Mm-hmm. Not bipolar. Um Borderline personality disorder. Personality disorder. And, and I've worked with the extreme end of that, and definitely you can see that. But, like, trying to make her likable when she's got men, like the the last person she kills in the movie, totally was going to help her. He didn't pick her up as a John at all, yeah. and she still kills him. Mm-hmm. Like That was the one thing the movie did to say, yes, she was a murderer. Yeah. She did not have to do that. She chose to do that. So she was a murderer. And that was the one scene that did it. But even while it did it, she was screaming through tears and her eyes was burning and it was an Oscar clip. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure that the I real Eileen Wernos would have done that. If you have person antipersonality disorder, um, whatever you're going to do in your head is already justified. Yeah. And whatever harm you do is deserved. So not only do I think that she killed that person just for his car and his money, I think she probably said something really awful to him before she pulled the trigger. Yeah. And in a movie that feels this authentic, to pull back at the last moment, borders on irresponsible, (laughs) right? Now all of a sudden, Eileen Wernos is some sort of heroic figure. Yeah. She's some sort of feminist icon. But I've seen that in real life. I had a... 
somebody that I know on Facebook who absolutely idolizes Eileen Wernos. Yeah. Unfriend right there. Sorry, that's not a role model. She is not a role model. This is not a love story. Like, and I really struggled with that watching it because the more it went on, the more I didn't like her. And I could tell though that they wanted us to be liking her more. And it's the ending that really yeah. kills it. That speech she gives in the courtroom is the Which step is, too far. Yeah. And it's when total she shit. Yells, yeah. You're <laughs> sending a raped woman to death. It's supposed to be a moment of vindication, I think, for her. In a lot of ways, it's like she was made into this monster. Society made her. So we should be executing society. And I am sorry, but no. fuck. Yeah, exactly I thought the exact same thing I'm like that's her line like yeah. what so bad things happen to me ergo anything I do is okay is that where is that where we want to go with this is yeah. that the moral of the story now I want to go back to saying some good things too because the thing is, is that's what's so frustrating about the movie is that in a lot of ways it's amazing exactly and then a lot of ways it's like oh yeah ah. um I think the unsung hero of this whole project might be Christina Ricci. Who I still felt was so whiny, so yeah. whiny, yeah. so needy. But I sort of understood her as that pure raw nerve of need. She just needs someone to take care of her. And to her great misfortune, Eileen <laughs> Wernos turns out to be that person. Yeah. They try and, again, turn that romance into a big sacrifice that she makes at the trial. She doesn't want to have her lover have to incriminate herself or be put in a position to testify against her. So she sacrifices her, you know, yeah. her chance of freedom or vindication by admitting so that it would, you know, <laughs> I know. That's Bullshit. all I could think when I was hearing it. It was, yeah, that's not how it went down. But <laughs> if I have sympathy for her, it's not because of her. It's because of Christina Ricci, because someone needs to take care of that girl. Yes. You know, like, she looks so sad. Know, right? <laughs> and and uh, just the authenticity, like the, the weird wolf shirt that she wears. Like, I've seen chicks that wear those shirts. You know, <laughs> it's just like, like, there's something very specific about these choices, you know? And uh, they got the right actors for all these parts. Bruce Dern has a small part in there. And, uh, is he the fatherly figure guy yeah, that owns the... at the bar. Yeah. Gotcha. So, yeah, it's really, really frustrating because I get why this movie got a bunch of awards thrown at it. But I think that that, that, that unfortunate lack of... I'm not even saying that we can't have empathy for people who do bad things. You know yeah. what? Oh, like, exactly. Uh, I'm sorry that she got raped and I'm sorry that she lived such a hard life. But, and this is reflected in the case too, you know, it was kind of weird that every time she was running out of money and in a desperate position where she might be evicted or suddenly needed to move, somebody tried to rape her who happened to have a lot of cash on her. Yes. Because that happened. And a car. That happened but, over and over again. Yeah. And I can't believe that they're trying to fudge the math on that. But it's, that's She's very a much a borderline she, personality I do I the thing this. and then I justify the thing, yeah. right? And that, I mean, to their credit, that does come through mm -hmm. a little bit, but I don't know that it should be glamorized because it really does feel like this is a romanticized, this is a love story. Yeah. And, eh. 
and really authentic moments again and that's why the inauthentic stuff really rubs me the wrong way because it sends a bad message but I love how horrible that they made Charlize Theron look but I love the scenes where she's looking at herself in the mirror and fixing her hair and combing it yeah. back and she looks at herself and she's like perfect right? yeah she's Hot stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's just a really small genuine moment and the movie's full of those like they have a great eye for what is real yeah <laughs> I know I wanted it to be more and it I, uh, like I get the awards but I also should you get an award just for changing the way you look and gaining 30 pounds there's that well, whole message she, she too she acted the shit out of it she too. acted the shit out of it yes but it, what was more that's what a lot of maybe that's just Hollywood focused on yeah. she gained 30 pounds holy fuck yeah yeah, well, a lot of us do. I'm not getting an Academy <laughs> no one, Award for yeah, that. <laughs> no one gave me a trophy for gaining 30 pounds. <laughs> but if you would like to, I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> you can write and I'll give you my address. <laughs> I hope it includes money. I won't kill you for it. <laughs> I always get leery of authentic feeling movies. I talked about Lee Beckman, Mutual Acquaintances. We talked about this cop movie, uh, End of Watch. Mm-hmm. which feels really authentic, but I think on some level is kind of essentially full of shit. Mm-hmm. And that, that's fine for that movie because that was sort of a crime thriller that people liked and it sort of moved on. So it didn't bother me too much. This kind of seems in the same neighborhood of End of Watch. It feels real, but in the end of the day, it isn't real. Yeah. And that's how it is. It's, you watch it and there's kind of that feeling, Ugh. Yeah. Like, I yeah. wanted to like this more than I did. I'm like, glad you're agreeing with me because I was sort of worried that I was going to come off as this hostile male guy <laughs> saying, you know. No, I totally. They're soft shoe the ladies and this feminist bullshit. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. I just have a hard time feeling sympathetic for a mass murderer. And I feel like that's what this movie wants to do. And if you want me to empathize with her, that's fine. That's one thing. Empathy and sympathy are two different things. Yeah. I can understand that she came from a hard place, and I can understand oh, that she absolutely. made some hard choices. And I can even believe that she's been in enough bad situations that she's probably been raped or people have been rough with her. But I don't believe that all of these men were trying to rape her. No. I and don't at some that's... point, regardless of all the past shit that's happened to you, yeah. everybody's got a story. Everybody can tell you shit that happened. At some point, you are accountable for your actions. Yeah. And you have to... I mean, she's clearly kind of losing it. So if they want to argue PTSD, yeah. probably, yeah. She had a crowbar shoved up her. That would yeah, probably hurt. That, that would mess you You know, up. I can see why that would make her think that for a little bit. But it doesn't... Really, and it doesn't like, drive, like I say, what I know of personality disorder. Like, yeah. it's the world is the way I says it is, and if you try to say anything otherwise, I'm going to shout over you so yeah. that I can't hear what you're saying. That's the kind of person you're dealing with. Exactly. And that's where I don't know that they really understood that. Or were and honest about it. Maybe they took Eileen Warnos at her word. word, and you can't do that. Like, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. They're going to tell you what they want you to hear. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's what I could see through. So kind of watching it just felt flat. Right. And I was actually angry at the end. Yeah. 
What? The, the Oscar moment <laughs> speech at the end was really the step too far. And it oh. made me angry because of how good everything else around it but was. But you could tell it was that, like, you could tell that that yeah. was the... Yeah, this was the big moment. This is our big line. We should be crying <laughs> for her. And yeah. the, the loss of this great, again, folk hero. Yeah. And, and I, I am not okay <laughs> with that. No. Eileen Wernos, once again, is neither the hero nor the victim of this story. Yeah. Even if I take the movie out the word and say that most of the guys that she killed were terrible people, one was too many, okay? Yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. Uh, there's a whole laundry list of victims in this story. Exactly. And uh, on that list, very low, should Eileen's name show up. Yeah. And that makes this movie dishonest, and that makes me have a hard time recommending it for anything other than the choices of the production and the acting itself. Yeah. It's one of those, take with the grain of salt. Yeah. A really big grain of salt. Like, yeah. Look at us cynics here. I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Dear Editor, this is the murderer of the two teenagers last Christmas and the girl on Vallejo. Stay in the car. Man, you really creeped us out. I want you to print this cipher on the front page of your paper. Ray Smith, don't you have my cartoon to finish? Sergeant Mullenix. Hi, this is San Francisco Chronicle. I'm looking for someone to shed some light on a letter we received. You guys got one, too. Got any hard suspects? About 90 an hour. In this cipher is my identity. If you do not print this cipher, I will go on a kill rampage where the federal agency had failed at decoding it. A cartoonist has succeeded. Man is the most dangerous animal of all. You have the ciphers, the military boot press, the bloody knives. All circumstantial. You threaten my life. You're going to catch this guy or not? And when is it going to be finished? When you catch him? When you arrest him? I need to know who he is. I need to stand there and know that it's him. Nothing makes sense anymore. I'm not the Zodiac, and if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Are you sure there's nobody else in the house? I don't know about you, but I went through a true crime phase when I was in my teenage years. I'm still in it. Yeah? <laughs> I, read, I have every Anne rule but one. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're a collector. I, I, I respect that. One of the first real crime books that I read was Zodiac. The, the novel this movie is largely based on, the Graysmith book. And it was fascinating for many reasons. It was like a serial killer that got away. Mm -hmm. And the, this whole premise that it was actually a cartoonist of all people who was writing this book and who was investigating it still to this day. Of all the people. Yeah. Why is it a cartoonist? <laughs> Which I still struggled with watching it. I'm like, he seems more invested in this than, than the police else. officers who, you know, probably should be a little bit invested. I track this to this thing when you, you come across something in a movie and you're like, that is so crazy. When you watch something in a movie and you shake your head and say, that's fucking crazy, one of two things has happened. The person who wrote the screenplay is an idiot. <laughs> or it's based on something that actually fucking happened, right? yep. And in this case, that actually happened. So I'm not going to fight the plot in that <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah. But yeah. Um, as much as I watched horror movies too young, it wasn't demonic possession that kept me up at night. It wasn't little green men doing experiments on me. It was the idea of a crazy person coming 
Uh, I spent a lot of weekends home alone. Had I been a popular person in high school, I would have been really popular. <laughs> it, was a, it was an empty house and an open bar, a lot of weekends at my place. Uh, but yeah, I remember sitting reading the Zodiac book and suddenly getting the heebie-jeebies that some random psycho was going to choose this house. Right? Yep. Just knock on the door. Mine was Ted Bundy. There you go. He could be there. Yeah, he could be there. Um, so I have a personal connection to this mm-hmm. subject matter because of that. Like, I, I, I kind of was into it. And David Fincher is a very gifted filmmaker. He's on things like Fight Club. He did, I have seen that one too. Seen Fight Club. We found I'm a two. <laughs> seven? <laughs> You've seen seven? That's with Morgan Freeman Morgan and Freeman Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt? Yes, yes, I have then. Another David Fincher joke. Panic Room? Jodie Foster? No. Okay, well, it's good. he's done a lot of high-profile thrillers. He's done his Oscar movies. He did the Skill of the Dragon Tattoo, the, the American version of it. I've read it. There you go. Um, when I heard he was doing the Zodiac, I was like, well, shit. And <laughs> yeah. then we get this cast. We get some Mark Ruffalo. We got Jake Gyllenhaalty. My wife and I called Jake <laughs> I thought he was Toby Maguire. Well, I get all of them mixed up. And that other guy. Uh, Robert Downey Jr.? No, no. There's like three that look the same to me. Jake Gyllenhaal, Toby Maguire, and Topher Grace. Ah. I cannot keep any of them straight. Well, that's, I know that's it's on sad. them. That's their yeah. fault. <laughs> uh, Robert Downey Jr., Mark Ruffalo, like all of these amazing people are coming together to do this procedural that takes place over many decades. Huge budget, huge Oscar pedigree. So I had every reason to be let down because <laughs> yeah. anytime you go into a movie with that much expectation, you're destined to have a fall. See, and I had zero Except, expectation, and it was like, this is really long. Oh, really? I kept thinking that. This is really long. In my case, I do think that this procedural is probably the best of its kind that I've seen. Hmm. Okay. To me, it actually it did the job. It told the entire story, which yeah. I like that bit, and I really like the beginning where you have all of the people calling in and whatever. So you, between that and kind of the music, you can feel that, exp- like that, not expectation, that fear and the hysteria. Right. You can feel that. Yeah. That, wow, no kidding. This because there's not... no rhyme or reason to the Zodiac at all. And then when he starts playing games. This is not a normal everyday bad egg. This guy no, this is one's like super special. fucked. Yeah. Not only is he killing people, but he's writing letters to the police and toying with them. I love that our opening sequence is us following the letter as it arrives at the at the yes. newspaper up to the woman who opens it and screams. Uh, like, there's a lot of really bold choices and a lot of really expensive filmmaking. And the movie did not make its money back, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it. it, it it's, it's a tough sell because, in a way, you have a, this almost three-hour movie where the violence is over by the halfway point, yeah. and they never really tell you who the Zodiac killer is. No, and it, they do that on purpose, which I get why, because we never we really know. know. We don't know. <laughs> it's honest. And yeah. the level of specificity, the level of research, the level of effort they made to remake meticulously every single crime scene the survivor of the the stabbing at the lake mm-hmm. 
Manny survived. He's interviewed on the special features. Oh, I didn't watch that. And he Darn. said when he saw the film, it chilled him because what the image they show of the actual stabbing, when they cut away, he said, that was like my memory of it. I saw her stabbed several times and I couldn't watch it anymore. I couldn't wow. do anything about it, so I stopped watching it. And they cut away, like, at the exact right moment. Like, somehow wow. David Fincher just knew it, right? Um, huh. So, but it's not a movie about the kill sequences. The kill sequences are fucking terrifying. They are. <laughs> like, the, it's like, <laughs> that's is that the bad the guy? Is about. that the bad guy? It's about all of these people spending literally decades obsessing over solving this riddle. And Especially Jake Gyllenhaal's kid. Like, he is to the point that he loses his wife yeah. and his kids, basically. Yeah. And he can't let it go. It's kind of, yep, yeah, well, okay. Like, it really doesn't even seem to phase him. Like, he's mm. got to figure out who this is. And he, he says at one point, I want to look him in the eyes. And he, and the, he has to know that I know. Yeah. At least one person knows his secret. And they try and give us that towards the end of the movie, too. Um, but it, it seems like it would be an impossible thing to work. Like, like I said, the violence is over before the movie's half over. And it's a long procedural that doesn't have a satisfactory conclusion. Like, how do you make that into an entertaining movie? Yeah. I don't have the answers for you, but they did. Yeah. I really like the bit where they're chasing almost like the red herring character. I forget the name of the character, but he goes to that guy's house who basically locks them in right. and down to the basement. And, well, this guy wrote the, he had these the movie, posters. movie poster. And he's like, no, I did. Mm-hmm. And it's like, ooh. Great thing about that, the actor <laughs> you're talking about there, he's Charles Fleischer. You may also know him as the voice of Roger Rabbit. <laughs> Fun who's fact, not creepy at all. Who's not creepy at all. <laughs> He's a stand-up comedian, brilliant guy, and uh, he does small parts in movies, and he is creepy as fuck. Oh my god, movie. I was like, get out of the house. Before he even went to the basement, I'm like, dude, yeah. you should not be there. Like, and what they've done with that scene is, if you've been paying attention to the narrative, they just start uh, knocking off all the things that he's looking for, you know? And one of the things was somebody has a basement, right? And very few people have basements in California. Yeah. And then who's really into the study of film or who, who his specific style of handwriting. Just take that box, take yeah. that box, right? Tick, and, tick, and then and it's like, The longer wait. the conversation goes <laughs> on, the more you're like, what are you doing yeah. in this fucking guy's basement, <laughs> right? It's like, you should be, a, like, you're a smart guy. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I really like Mark Ruffalo, the, the cop that he's playing, and name escapes me. That cop was sort of the inspiration for Dirty Harry. Like, he was a San Francisco PD. Which I didn't know yeah. until they basically said it in the movie. Oh, right. Like, they make a oh, reference yeah. to it. And the Dirty Harry killer is very close to the Zodiac killer, which is why he's so pissed off at the screening. Ah, if you've okay. seen Dirty Harry, they were totally ripping that from the headlines. He was threatening a school bus full of children. Oh, okay. Was like, yeah. So that was part of the reason. Not only was this is this character based on him, but they pulled this Zodiac killer yeah. in the movie, and this is like, as far as he's concerned, one of these big lights on his career because it's a very high-profile public case that he has no answer for. Yeah, and gets accused of writing a letter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's 
to make it even more high profile. And yeah. uh, I think that's a lot of the reason that the other people sort of back off from it is that they don't see the payoff, right? We didn't catch the guy, so I can't tell you this narrative about the Zodiac yeah. Taylor that makes sense. It's all never going to be cut and dried. Yeah. You're done. All of the other researchers at the, at the newspaper just moved on to the next story. All of the other police Except officers. Except Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Who just, you know, who just spiraled, spiraled down. down. Yeah, just too many drugs. He's good at that. But the Did I say that? Yeah, so I don't have control. I <laughs> yeah. could see why they cast him yeah, for that role sure. anyway. But the, the journalists will always have another story to cover, and mm-hmm. the cops will always have another case to solve. Graysmith yeah. just keeps this wheel turning however fast or slow for decades. Yeah. And I love the way we see time go by, the city landscapes changing in these vast special effects sequences. And uh, the baby steps towards, you know, getting answers. Yeah. Uh, the frustration that the cops must feel, you know? Um, and the fact that the killing stopped, in a way, stymieing it. If there was another crime scene, that would mean another body, which is bad. But it would also mean another chance of collecting evidence, which might be that Yeah, he piece. might have screwed up that time. Yeah. yeah. One of the scariest scenes in any of the movie that I've seen in a long time involves uh, Ionly Sky plays a young mother who has suffered some trouble with her car and she gets picked up on the highway. Mm-hmm. This is the last known sighting or presumed sighting of the Zodiac Killer. As she tells the story, he asks her to get in the car and uh, does this whole subterfuge before she, he realized that she has the kid. Yes. The kid was the ingredient that changed the scenario for everybody. See, he has morals. He must have morals too because no he didn't have this in him to kill a kid or whatever. But she managed to escape from him. But that whole sequence when he says, before I kill you, I'm going to throw your baby out the window or whatever fucking horrible thing. says, just the look on her face, the reality that we're presented with. Yeah absolutely chilling especially as a mother i was watching that going oh my god yeah and i i don't know the story that well so i'm like did he actually kill a kid oh god please don't let that happen like i don't want to watch that but honestly all of the kills the the stabbing by the lake the the opening shot with the the couple who get killed in the car it's so visceral that you're almost glad that the murders are done by the halfway point because they are that scary I think you'd almost become desensitized to it if it was the whole, because it's a long movie. It's three hours. Yeah. So, like, it would almost be too much. There was also a conscious choice made by the filmmakers that we only see Zodiac in cases where somebody who survived saw the Zodiac. Okay. And uh, they match the description of that person's version of the Zodiac. Huh. So, uh, it wasn't always one actor who was playing the Zodiac figure. John Carroll Lynch plays their prime suspect, the guy who has all the squirrels in his trailer that he's been living off of all these squirrels. Is that that true? Yeah, that (laughs) dude's a really good actor. He was in Fargo. He's in a lot. He has smaller character roles in a lot of high-profile movies. I really like him. And he's one of these strange characters where, like, you don't think during the interview that he's trying to look guilty. Yeah, right down to the watch. Oh, yeah. look. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a Zodiac watch. Like, uh, So you're right there with the investigators. Like when, when Mark Ruffalo goes to a superior officer and he was like, I wanted to put the cuffs on him right there. You were like, 
you want to live in a world where you could, but yeah. in the real world, you have to know a lot of things yeah. before you put the cuffs on Just because he looks like a bad guy? Yeah. And because he's being really suspicious, like you, yeah. know, you can't. Yeah, I arrest you for being suspicious. <laughs> you can't do it, you know. And that's not the movie we're in. That's not the answer that you can expect. Yeah. Um, and there's still enough. I like that they keep it still enough bit of doubt, because there obviously was doubt, or he would have been arrested. Absolutely. And it was interesting the whole hardware store at the end. Little stare down. The stare down, and they leave it open. Did he actually stare at the eyes of the zodiac like he wanted to, or did he not? And yeah. I kind of liked it that they left it, because we don't know. We don't. Um, we know that at this point the zodiac killer is either dead or out of out of service. He's retired. But typically, people with a psychosis that pronounced do not stop. No. So chances are either they were right about that character or the real Zodiac Killer died in a car accident yeah. and nobody or would ever know. Or became un incapable of actually doing it. We have a lot of scares of the boogeyman of psychos and you want to know that there's somebody out there looking for them. And this movie tells you there are people out there looking for them, but that it's one of the toughest jobs that you could ever imagine. Yeah. And uh, I was I was incredibly impressed. With Zodiac. So that's where I wash up. (laughs) The only thing that almost drove me nuts was the Mark Ruffalo character. There's one point where he has the holster on, the shoulder holster, and it looks like the gun's about to fall out. I'm like, dude, Uh, why isn't somebody watching to make sure that that's in there? The real cop Mm -hmm. wears his shoulder holster upside down. Ah, so that's That's why? That's actual detail. Ah. That's the kind of movie that you're watching. Uh, again, watching the special features, they were talking about like the, the newspaper set. Mm-hmm. Like Fincher would go to a filing cabinet and flip through it and say, "Why are these pages blank?" Right? Like I need period paperwork in here, something that was written on a typewriter from the sixties. Wow. Are we shooting in the filing cabinet? <laughs> nope. But we're gonna make <laughs> we're gonna this place, us. you know, the San Francisco Herald in nineteen sixty-eight, and that's wow. what this fucking room is. <laughs> Right, so it, I see why it goes to the budget. point. Yeah, it goes to the point where it's kind of crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's almost unnecessary. You didn't need. He's maybe as obsessed as the. Yeah, you didn't need two hundred million dollars to tell the story. To be no. honest, no. But I love all the production in the movie. I love that they got the right people for the parts. You know. Oh, absolutely! Like Jake <laughs> Gyllenhaal does an amazing job. Like yeah. just being so focused, like. There's so many times where I'm like, why is he more focused than the police? <laughs> yeah. uh, even the smaller roles. Brian Cox is the TV host who gets the, the, the caller who claims to be the Zodiac killer, who on one hand wants to help the police, but on the other hand just sees this as a great opportunity <laughs> to shine the yeah. spotlight on himself. A I'm talking. Act- yeah, Canadian actor Elias Coteas, who continually puts up with Jake Gyllenhaal, insisting to get access to his file room, even though... <laughs> He's not really a cop, and he's not really a reporter. <laughs> like, That's the one thing I'm like, wow, they gave him a lot of information that they probably well, shouldn't have. And I think that it was a largely just that he got away under, like, they didn't know they were letting him get away with stuff. He was always in there with the other journalists. Yeah. But slowly but surely, the other journalists stopped coming, and he just... Yeah, I'm coming. here again. Yeah. Anyway, um, I say if you have not seen Zodiac, check it out. Yeah. One of the best procedurals ever made.
where it was. We just talked about six movies on real scary people. <laughs> and um, we agreed a lot. I, I yeah. found like we found a lot of common ground. Again, I was feeling like the monster thing was going to be controversial. <laughs> and, uh, I know a lot and of I'm people like... who really think that Domino is quite the interesting music video. Um, so uh, it's cool to hear that we're in the same place but are we going to be so much in the same place I have a feeling we're going to differ on a couple you're not going to steal the championship away from Lee Beckman no probably not because would never forgive you (laughs) (laughs) well now I want to can I it was a long fought battle it was like his 8th or ninth episode that he had done that he finally won (laughs) Well, I, that's not fair. I've only done one. Exactly. I've got to do eight or nine now. Well, you're welcome to come back. I was Sweet. going to say that. If you if you enjoyed yourself and uh, you want to try another one, absolutely. Absolutely. Sweet. I'm in. <laughs> uh, Jen Sheesby, what yes. was your least favorite of these six films and why? Monster. Monster made the bottom. Well. Why? It was the one that I actually ended and was angry. and. Right. It just didn't do it for me. I could tell that they wanted it to be a romance, and that, nope. Okay, there it is. Monster at the bottom. Then I have the Zodiac. That's where I think we're going to differ. I liked it, and I thought it was very well done, but there was a few times where I felt it was long. So I like that they told the whole story, but I feel there was a couple of places where they could have maybe tighten it up a bit. Your butt was getting a little numb. <laughs> yeah, I was like, how much longer did... Oh, yeah. yeah okay. Still got another hour. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I going to think a bit more. Then I had Domino. Visually, I really, really liked it for that bit, but it didn't feel like it was actually based on Domino. Right. So, for me, it was kind of a fun little romp, but... Uh, then I had The Iceman. Which, I liked it. I mean, I kind of liked that he was the Iceman. He definitely is. You don't get him. His daughter drove me freaking nuts, though. Oh, my God, whiny. (laughs) My kid knows better than to do that. (laughs) Don't whine. Then I had Chopper. Uh, The only way that it didn't win for Bronson was I just really, really liked Bronson, how it was done. I like the bizarre aspect of the little bits with him that you weren't sure if that's in his mind or if, I mean, solitary does things to people, hey? So he could be there thinking he's, I've seen people shadow box, so. Uh, Is he telling the story to anyone or is this just the story he's telling to himself? Is it a bit of both? Mm -hmm. You know, and I really like the risks that Tom Hardy did as an actor. Absolutely. I mean, he committed... 110%, even down to the physical side. I mean, yeah, Charlie's there and gained 30 pounds. He did way more, in my opinion. He He probably gained 30 pounds of muscle. Oh, if if not more. (laughs) And I mean, that's the hard work. Chest and shoulders. Like, he actually, you can tell he physically transformed his body. And that, like, and he had the voice down. If you listen to the recordings at the end of the actual Charles Bronson and him, it was like, wow. I mean, yeah, it's a very specific dialect that I won't pretend to echo because I would suck at it. Yeah, <laughs> and and I just really kind of liked it. And there's something almost likable about him. Like the fact that he's so, I mean, it's, 
I found more true to life that you can know that somebody is a really bad dude. Right. They can make you laugh. And I mean, it. I think his character does make you laugh. It's a little bit disarming and stuff. But yeah, I just, out of all of them, that was the one that right as way and I watched it, I really liked it. Right. And it just didn't get bumped down from that. Nice. Well, uh, we have very different lists. Unfortunately, we did not go six for six or <laughs> zero for six. Uh, Amazingly, we agreed on only one position, though. Oh, wow. Um, so here it goes. Uh, for me, I put the Iceman in last place. Mm-hmm. Because I think that of all the other movies, since they weren't drowning us in style, since uh, they weren't you know, specifically going like hard real world, like they needed to take an angle on their main character and they didn't. I think that it almost was a cop out to say he is an ice man, he is impenetrable. He's so impenetrable that this film can't penetrate him, right? <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I like the acting and I think it's worthy watch. I just think that there's a more going on in these other movies. Uh, in fifth place I put Domino because I feel it is a style as substance movie. The style overtook everything, and the other stuff that was there was good. And there's something about that kinetic hyper-movement style. I remember hearing Danny Boyle interviewed about his movie Trainspotting. I have seen that. You've seen Trainspotting. <laughs> good look at we're just <laughs> yeah. hitting all of these. Uh, that part of his mandate when he was going to do this movie, he wanted to keep it moving at an incredible clip. And part of doing that was keeping it 90, 95 minutes tops. He went out there knowing that you will wear your audience out if you go for two straight hours of this. Yeah. And other movies have learned this lesson the hard way, like *Fury Road* in Las Vegas, and I would argue this movie *Domino*. I think that you just get beaten down by the style; it actually kind of wears you out, takes you a little bit out of the movie. In fourth place, the ever frustrating monster, because there's so much good in it. There's so much good in it. And I, like, I, I know that their heart's in the right place. Like, I think that they want to make this really warm, empathetic movie, but I do not understand choosing Eileen Wernos to be worthy of this. Yeah. I think that she was a very unhappy, very sick person who murdered people. And everybody seemed to be on the same page of this until this movie came out. <laughs> so yes. I have... I have problems, yeah. but I couldn't tell you that it was a bad movie. I couldn't tell you it was poorly made. I could not tell you it was poorly acted. Yeah, like I am genuinely torn about it. I was worried again that it was I was going to get flack for putting monster as low as four. But you, 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 <laughs> I put a total. You bottom. threw it right under the it bus. It pissed me right <laughs> off. <laughs> so that's cool. But here's where I'm going to piss you right off. Okay. All the way in third place is where I put Bronson. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> um, I love the style of it too. I absolutely agree with you. Um, but I think that there was that style that was overlaid on the the, the production by the screenplay by, or by the director you know it was put on it so that it would recognize itself as being somewhat different than all the other sort of tough guy thrillers like that's the thing that makes it different than chopper right yeah chopper at least sort of somehow pretends to exist in the real world chopper's kind of a crazy character but we live in the real world so i, I think the aesthetic gave it extra points for entertainment value and production but in exchange you lose some reality points right yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> But that was the toughest of the bunch was deciding between Bronson and Chopper. 
I think in the end, my man crush on Eric Bana <laughs> <laughs> just uh, just overtook uh, things for me. There's something about Chopper in the way, like, he's brutal and violent, but sincere. There's something honest about Chopper. Even when he's full of shit, like, he's winking at you while he's full of shit. He's yeah. got that smile on his face saying, I'm a little bit full of shit right yeah. now. <laughs> But you're going to buy it, hey? There's something... Because I'm also charming? There's something a little bit... I feel closer to the real guy in it. I think, in a way, of all of these movies, I got closest to understanding Chopper Reed. So that's why I made to the second place. And I said when we made the review that I thought Zodiac was one of the greatest release procedurals ever made. That's so why I knew So if I'm going to drop that caveat, it's hard-pressed for me not to put it at the top of the list. I will also say I think it's David Fincher's best movie, and a lot of Fight Club and Seven fans out there just yelled at their computer. (laughs) (laughs) That's just how I feel. But just because we only agreed in one of the six places, I mean, it's arbitrary. Yeah, I mean, they're all good movies, and I think they all are worthy of watching. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I just feel like if I if we just sat here and talked about one movie, if we just said, oh, let's just talk to Zodiac. Oh, you like Zodiac? Well, I like it more than you. Okay, done, right? We, we, we walk away. If you rank them, the next time I see a movie that's based on a real scary person, I think I'll have a better idea of saying, she's really like that one. Right? Yeah, very true. <laughs> so it gives me a little she window. She likes the fucked up ones. Yeah, yeah, she wants us a little bit more crazy. Let's, we'll, we'll go with the crazy <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for oh. being part of the 99th episode Woo! of Rank and Review. The 99th episode is behind us. The 100th is right around the corner, you guys. So if there was ever a better time to sing the praises of Rank and Review, I can't think of it. Please, if you like the show a little bit, Show me some love. Do me a favor. Tell that other film fan in your life about the podcast. Share a link on Facebook. Tell somebody about it. Share it on your blog. Spread the word. A hundred episodes needs to be recognized. And if I could get a bump in people listening, that would be great for my morale. You could send me that feedback, which I really would appreciate. You can check me out on Facebook at the Rankin Review page there, or you can send me emails directly at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-E-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Let me know where you think the show should go, or if it should go on. What will Rankin Review's future be? Maybe some of the listeners can help me figure that out. Until next we speak, this is your host and random comedian man.